Welcome or welcome back to the Northwood Podcast. This is Tommy, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to take a few moments to listen to this podcast today. Do me a favor, at the end of this podcast, take a moment to subscribe. That way you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. And check out our website, northwoodbaptist.com, and learn about all that's taking place in the life of our church. I hope this message blesses you, and I hope it helps you to connect faith to life. As you're having a seat, take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 45 is where we're spending our time this morning. Genesis 45, verses 4 through... We'll read that together in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, because right in the seat before you, uh, in the book rack, there should be a copy of the Bible. Take that up and find Genesis 45, Genesis 45, 4 through 15. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and begin to read it as you begin to learn about the God who loves you and gave His Son, Jesus, for you. If you've been around for a while now, you know that we're working through uh, this year uh, 100 days of reading the Bible together as a faith family, and, and I hope you're doing well with that. We're a couple weeks in, and I hope that, that God is already revealing some things to you about himself that maybe you didn't know or you need to be reminded of. And so I hope this journey is helping you to grow in Christ as you're daily uh, diving into his word. And we've got a great story to look at this morning that comes from our Bible reading. And we'll get to that story in just a moment in Genesis chapter 45. Uh, so, so, I don't know if you know this or not. You might, you might not, and that's okay. Uh, this time of year in New Orleans, it's, it's Mardi Gras season. And I know that when you think of Mardi Gras, uh, you think of Fat Tuesday, you think of Bourbon Street, you think of all the debauchery that goes along with it. And there is some of that. There's a lot of that. But Mardi Gras is much more than that. I mean, it's an actual season. So it starts uh, after Christmas, and it goes up to, to, to Ash Wednesday and, and during the season of Epiphany. And, and it's a lot of fun. So the, you can find the bad stuff, but, but, but Stacy grew up. Uh, in, in Metairie, right outside New Orleans, two blocks from a parade route. And so, so she grew up going to parades when they came through. And, and sometimes during the, the height of Mardi Gras season, there'll be three, four parades a day. I mean, just kind of back to back to back. And so when we got married, you know, we would start going to parades together right down the street from her parents' house. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. You catch beads, you catch cups, you catch you know, enough, enough utensils to take home and, and use for your family for the next year. It's just really great stuff. And so we always miss being in New Orleans this time of year. And one of the things I enjoy most about Mardi Gras is king cake. And so I don't know if you're familiar with king cake, if you ever had king cake, if you know what a king cake is. I didn't know what a king cake was, so I moved there. But it's, it's like, just think like a huge Cinnabon, right? I know, that sounds good already. This huge Cinnabon, and it's got this, this thick icing on top that's in Mardi Gras colors, gold and purple and green. And, and really, in, in New Orleans, the only time you have ready access to them is during the Mardi Gras season. You can find them everywhere, and they're just outstanding. And so when it's around this time of the year, we really miss our, our king cakes. And, and sometimes we go to New Orleans for Christmas. We're able to find one here or there, but a lot of times we're not. And so anyway, about eight or nine years ago, we were in New Orleans visiting Stacy's parents, and we found king cake ice cream by Bluebell. Now, you know this, right? Bluebell is the best ice cream on the planet by far, hands down, that's it. So combining Bluebell ice cream with king cake, I mean, that's a Mardi Gras parade in your mouth, right? I mean, it just gets no better than that. And so, so about eight or nine years ago, we found this king cake ice cream. We bought it, and I mean, it was outstanding. And, and, and we didn't see it again. We thought maybe it was a one-time thing they did in New Orleans, and, and that was it. We looked for it again, but never found it until a couple of weeks ago. 
We were in the Walmart at Goose Creek of all places, and we found it. Bluebell Mardi Gras king cake ice cream. I mean, I, I went there, and I was in the Walmart, and I was at the, the freezer section because I always pass by the Bluebell ice cream, and there it was, the holy grail of all ice cream, right? I mean, there was one carton. That was it. I'd have given 50 bucks for that carton, but I bought that carton. I brought it home. We enjoyed it, and, 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 and ever since, ever since those couple weeks ago, I've been checking been checking the Walmarts, been, been checking, you know, the Publix, where whatever grocery store I'm in, I'm checking, and I can't find it. Like, that was the only carton in all of Charleston, I guess, but I can't find the Bluebell ice cream. And so I, I need your help, if you don't mind. <laughs> because I know all of you go grocery shopping, and I, and I appreciate that you grocery, go grocery shopping. As you're out grocery shopping, if you find a carton of King Cake Bluebell ice cream, I, here's what I know is going to happen. You're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to buy that carton and take it home and enjoy it with your family. Fight the temptation. Remember me, right? And, and let me show you. I've got a phone number for you. If you'll just call 843-553-3281. That's our office number. And leave a message for me or my, my administrative assistant. Just let us know you found it. I will get there fast, right? Take it up to the register. Tell them to hold it, but don't hold it too long because I don't want it to melt. But I'll come get the ice cream. So if you could help me out, I'm on a search for this king cake ice cream and I can't find it. So if you'd help me, I would greatly appreciate it, right? The reality is, is that all of us are searching for something. For me, it's bluebell king cake ice cream. For you, it's something else. You're, you're searching for that next step on the ladder of your career, You're searching for that college you want to get into. You're searching for something. Because we're hoping that if we find that next thing, whether it's the Bluebell ice cream or that that next place on our job or that, that school we want to get into or that person we want to marry, if we'll find what we're searching for, then we'll finally have what? A little bit of satisfaction. A little bit of purpose. A little bit of meaning in our lives. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you've found it. You've found the satisfaction you have been looking for. You've found the contentment that your heart longed for. And so, so this morning, as we look at Joseph's life, I just want to ask you a simple question. If you say that you've found it inside of a relationship with Christ, if we say as a faith family that in Christ we've found satisfaction, we've found contentment, I, I just want to ask you a point-blank, very serious question. Have you really? Are you content with God? Is he enough for you? Are you satisfied with your relationship with God? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through uh, Joseph's life. Because I believe Joseph in the Old Testament is the epitome of a life that found contentment and satisfaction in God. And as we talk about what it means to find satisfaction and contentment with God, I just want to ask you a few more questions, three more questions that I think are going to help you answer the question, are you content with God? So take your Bibles, look at Genesis 45, uh, verses 4 through 15. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Genesis 45, 4 through 15. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And Joseph said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you 
to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that in this room, Everybody under the sound of my voice would know that there is ultimate satisfaction inside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we study your word this morning and we recount the life of Joseph, that we will be reminded that we really can be content with you, with your plan, your purpose, what you're trying to accomplish in our lives, that we don't have to go searching for wealth to satisfy us, or pleasures to satisfy us, or even relationships to satisfy us, that we really do have all that we need in you. So now, Father, as we study your word together, help us be attentive. Help us to desire to know the truth of your word so we might live it out, so it might change us. We trust now that you're speaking. Help us to listen carefully and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. As you have a seat, buckle your seatbelts because we got a lot of ground to cover. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but when you think about the life of Joseph, Joseph's life uh, gets more space in the book of Genesis than any of the other people we read about in the book of Genesis, right? I mean, his life story covers about 12 chapters from chapter 37 to the end of the book. I mean, Abraham, he's the father of the Hebrew nation. He doesn't get that much space, nor does Jacob, nor does Noah, nor does anybody else in the book of Genesis. But Joseph's story, it takes up a lot of space, 12 chapters. And if you've been reading in your daily Bible reading about Joseph, you have read and you have discovered what a fascinating story his story is. I mean, here was this, this, this young man who was his father's favorite child. He, he was this, the son of, of Jacob and, and Rachel. And you might know this, you might not know this. I mean, Jacob had some other wives, but, but, but this boy, Joseph, I mean, he was born of Rachel, his beloved Rachel. And he treasured Joseph. And, and as Joseph grows up, I mean, Jacob's showing favoritism to him. You know about the coat of many colors that he gives to Joseph. And, and then Joseph has a dream. You remember the dream in chapter 37. He dreams that there's going to come a day that his brothers, his 11 brothers, are going to bow down to him. And not only his brothers, but also his mom and his dad as well. Now, it's one thing to have that dream. It's a bad thing to begin telling your brothers about the dream, right? And that's exactly what he does. He, he begins to tell his brothers and his father about this dream that one day they're going to bow to him. And so his brothers already didn't like him. Well, that made matters a whole lot worse. They despised him. They hated him. And so Joseph's Uh, is there with his father while his brothers are out in the fields watching over the flocks. And and Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers. And so he goes and he does that. And and, and when his brothers see him coming, they start to devise a plan. Beat him, 
throw him in a pit, and leave him for dead. And that's what they do. They throw him in a pit, leave him for dead. But Judah speaks up. Judah is the oldest brother, the oldest son. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not kill the boy. Let's sell him. Let's make some cash off of him. And so that's what happens. They, they, they sell their brother into slavery. And so now here we are in Genesis 45, the last time that, that Joseph's brothers saw him. They were walking away from him with handfuls of money as he goes into Egypt. He goes into Egypt as a slave, and you know the story. He, 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 his first stop is Potiphar's house. Uh, Potiphar is, is a, a wealthy nobleman in Egypt, and he has lots of servants, but, but, but Joseph becomes his favorite servant. Joseph, in all of this, even though he's been sold into slavery, even though he's been unjustly treated, Joseph is a man of integrity, a man of faith, and, and God blesses him. I mean, the Bible tells us that clearly in Genesis chapter 39. And, and so Joseph serves in Potiphar's house um, a 10 or 11 years as a faithful servant. And Potiphar makes Joseph the head of his entire household. But you know the story. Potiphar's wife, she has an eye for Joseph. And she begins to seduce Joseph. But Joseph, he's a man of integrity. He, he, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He refuses her advances. Until one day, when she grabs him by the garment as he's trying to flee, and then she takes that garment, and she accuses Joseph of rape. And Joseph is thrown into prison. This one who had been so faithful in Potiphar's house, who had been a man of integrity, the next thing he knows, he finds himself imprisoned. And he's there with a baker and a, a cupbearer, and for, for several years he's imprisoned. And, and while he's in prison, the baker and the cupbearer, they have some dreams. And, and Joseph interprets those dreams and what they mean for the baker and cupbearer. And, and, and you know the story, the baker is, 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 is killed and the cupbearer, he's restored. He goes back to Pharaoh and he's working with Pharaoh and Joseph's there in prison and he's forgotten about. He stays there in prison, forgotten, until Pharaoh has a dream. He has a dream about some fat cows and some skinny cows, right? There's fat cows and the skinny cows come along and eat the fat cows. He's so, that's a weird dream. That's like a couple of bad burritos, right? And so he doesn't know what's going on. And, and so, so he, he, he's talking to this dream to the cupbearer. And, and the cupbearer says, wait a minute, I know a guy. There's a guy who can interpret that. And so he sends for Joseph. And Joseph comes out of prison. And, and Joseph's able to interpret the dream that there's going to be in the land seven years of plenty. There's going to be seven years where, where there's going to be an abundance of, of grain and, and crops. And then there's going to come seven years of, of famine where there's not going to be a whole lot. And so Joseph interprets the dream. But not only does Joseph interpret the dream, he gives a plan. All right, Pharaoh, here's what we need to do. Over these next seven years, while there's plenty in the land, we need to gather up as much as possible and store it so that when the seven years of famine come, we'll have plenty. We, we, we won't go hungry. We'll have food to eat. And so the, the Pharaoh loves the plan, loves the plan so much that you know the story. He puts Joseph as second in command in Egypt. I mean, for lack of better terms, I mean, Joseph, in, in essence, he becomes the prime minister over the nation of Egypt. He has power and authority. And in fact, he's given a ring with the Pharaoh's signet on it. I mean, it's kind of like purchasing power, that, that when he shows people this ring, give me what I want, give me what I ask for, right? I mean, he's got power, prestige. 
And so his, his life was taking this dramatic turn. This man who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, who had been in prison, now is the prime minister. Years pass. Famine comes. All the while, Joseph's brother and his father are home. And now they're starving. They have no food. And so Jacob sends his sons to Egypt with money to buy some grain so they can survive and eat. But, but Jacob's smart enough. He's already lost one son. He's not going to lose Benjamin, the baby of the family. And so as he sends his brothers uh, to, to, to Egypt, he makes Benjamin stay home. And so these ten brothers make their way to Egypt. And in the providence of God, as they make their way to Egypt, they are brought face to face with their brother Joseph. The same Joseph they sold into slavery some 20 years earlier. But when they come into Joseph's presence, they don't recognize him. I mean, you change a lot over 20 years, right? Go look at your high school pictures and what you look like now. You might not want to do that, right? I mean, you change a lot over 20 years, and now Joseph's changed. Now, he immediately recognizes them. He knows exactly who they are, but they don't recognize him. And you can understand why. I mean, time does change you. But Joseph speaks Egyptian now. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He wears his hair like an Egyptian. He's an Egyptian now. And they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. And so there's this dialogue that you begin to read about in in chapter 42. and, 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 And Joseph begins to really mess with their minds a bit. Who are you guys? And they tell him about their father and about their brothers, right? That they're ten brothers and, and, and one's no more. He's dead. And there's one we have, a baby. He, he's back home. And then Joseph looks at him and says, you're spies. That's who you are. You've come here because you want to spy out our land. So you can see how vulnerable we are. So you can go back and devise a plan to come in and attack us. You are spies. And they say, no, we're not spies. We're honest. We promise. And, and Joseph, he, he messes with their mind a little bit more, right? Well, prove it. If you're not spies, go home. I want one of you to go back home and get your younger brother and bring him back to me. And then Joseph has a lot of fun. He throws him into prison. And for three days, these brothers are in prison. He brings him out of prison. And he says something to the effect of, of I'm a man of God. I trust the Lord. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send you back. But Simeon is staying here. And so he binds Simeon up before his brothers. And, 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 and challenges the brothers to go back to get Benjamin. And if they don't bring Benjamin back, they won't get Simeon back. And, and so you, you're left wondering, what in the world is going on here? Is, is Joseph just vindictive? Is he trying to get some revenge? No, I don't think so. I think what's going on here is Joseph is very strategic in what he's doing. On the one hand, he's wanting his brothers to come face to face with the reality of what they did to him 20 years ago. In fact, read what it says. If you have your Bibles, go back to Genesis 42 and look at Genesis 42 for just a moment. In Genesis 42, you come down to verse 21, and this is what it says. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you to sin against the boy? Not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. 
As they're in jail, they have time to think. And they know, they, they remember what they did to their brother Joseph, and they know exactly why they're going through what they're going through. That God is bringing about the consequences for their sin they had committed 20 years ago. But then this story gets a little bit stranger, right? After they're in prison, and then Joseph says, go back and get Benjamin, leave Simeon here. He sends them home where their sacks they brought. He fills those sacks with grain. But not only does he fill those sacks with grain, the money they brought to buy the grain, he puts it back in the sacks. So when they get home, you can imagine the surprise. And now here's the test. What are they going to do? Are they going to abandon Simeon like they had abandoned Joseph 20 years ago? When they get home and they discover this money that's been placed in their sacks, are they just going to keep the money? Are they going to return it to Joseph? What are they going to do? I think all the while, Joseph is trying to determine something about his brothers. Have they changed? Are they different than what they were 20 years ago? Are they vindictive? Are they still out to get me? Can I trust them? And so I think Joseph is putting them through a series of tests to see if their word is true, to see if he can trust his brothers. And so the brothers are home with Jacob. They find the money, and they tell their dad what happened, and they tell their dad, we've got to go back. We've got to take Benjamin, and we have to get Simeon. And his dad's like, no, I've lost Joseph. Now I've lost Simeon. I'm not losing Benjamin too, but they get hungry again. And so after some time, Jacob agrees to send the brothers back with Benjamin to get Simeon and to get more food. But it's not without some lengthy conversation. In fact, you come over to the next chapter in chapter 43 and you read what Judah says. Now, remember who Judah is. Now, follow me carefully. Judah is the, the, the one who, who suggested some 20 years prior that they sell their brother into slavery. Judah's not a good guy. He's a terrible brother. You don't want a brother who sells you into slavery. That's not what you want, right? But look at what it says. You come down to to, uh, chapter 43 and you look at verse 8. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety from my hand. You shall require him if I do not bring back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame forever. You see it? Judah promises to his father, I will bring Benjamin back. A very different man than who sold his brother into slavery 20 years prior. And so, so Jacob agrees and he, they, they take the money, they take their bags. But not only to take the money, they take more money, right? And so they go and when they get there, they go into Joseph's home. And, and the brothers explain what had happened with the money. And the, the manager of the house says, don't worry about it. And, and so Joseph comes out and he sees Benjamin. And, and, and he, he can't help but cry. He walks away in, in tears. And it's just an interesting conversation. And for the sake of the time, we won't go all the way into chapters 43 and 44. But, but, what, but what happens is that after they spend some time together, Joseph sends them away again with grain in their sacks. But then he takes his own silver cup. A silver cup that undoubtedly would have been worth a large amount of money. And he puts the cup in the top of Benjamin's bag. Now, here's the test. When it's found out that that Benjamin has the cup in his bag, what will the brothers do? Will they rat him out? Will they abandon Benjamin like they abandoned Joseph 20 years ago? What will they do? 
And so the brothers leave not knowing that the silver cup is in Benjamin's bag. They get halfway down the road and, and Joseph sends a servant out to stop them. And he takes the bags and looks through them and discovers that the silver cup is in Benjamin's bag. You can imagine if you were there, if you're one of the brothers, you're in shock. Like, we didn't steal anything. What, what happened, right? And they take the brothers, back to Joseph. And, and, and Judah speaks up. Look at chapter 44. Judah says in verse 16, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand this cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, Go up in peace to your father. In other words, what's going on here is this. When they're found out, Judah speaks up. I don't know how it got there. We didn't steal anything, but you found it. So I guess we're guilty. So we will all stay as your servants. We'll all be your slaves. That's justice. And Joseph says, no, I only want one of you. You go. I'm keeping Benjamin with me. Oh, oh, and then Judah speaks up again. You come down to the end of chapter 44, and you come to verse 32. And look at what Benjamin said, or excuse me, look at what Judah says. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Interesting. This man, Judah, who sold his brother Joseph into slavery 20 years earlier, is now before the prime minister of Egypt. His, his, his brother, Benjamin, has been caught red-handed with the prime minister's silver cup. And, and, and Benjamin should be the one, right, that stays there, imprisoned by Joseph. But Judah says, no, me instead. I made a promise to my dad. You keep me. Send him home. I will stay in his place. In that moment, Joseph can't handle any longer. He begins to weep. And he reveals to his brothers exactly who he is. That he was their long-lost brother that they had sold into slavery some 20 years prior. And then you come to chapter 45, and, 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 and Joseph begins to report about what took place, about what led him to this position in Egypt and how he became the second in command. And there's some very interesting things in these verses that for just a couple moments I, I want to talk about because I think what we find in these verses in chapter 45 is we find a man who has suffered unjustly, sold into slavery, in prison for a number of years. But in spite of the suffering that he had gone through, he was content. Content with the work of God in his life. Content with being a man of God. In fact, there's some questions I want you to think about as we work through these passages. One, think about this question. Do you have the right perspective, right? Do you have the right perspective? Notice what it says here in chapter 45. If you look at chapter 45, note the number of times that, that, that Joseph uses the name God. Look at what it says. I'm not going to read all of these, but let me just give you a sampling. You come to verse 5. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You come to verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve life. You come to verse 8. 
But God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh. You come to verse 9. Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. I mean, it's obvious, is it not, that in the midst of his unjust suffering, Joseph knew what? That God was at work. Joseph had a Godward perspective. He could have thrown a pity party. He could have been bitter at his brothers for the rest of his life. But he knew that in spite of what he was going through, God was at work in the midst of it. And you see, you know this, my friend. You know this as as an individual. You know this as a follower of Jesus. Perspective really does matter. And perspective really does change things. We went to the mall Friday because who doesn't want to go to the mall on Fridays, right? And so, so, so Luke was in school and, and Stacy wanted to go shop a bit. And so I, I went to the mall with her and, and I took Hudson. And so while Stacy shopped, um, you know, I took Hudson to Chick-fil-A and we, we ate chicken sandwiches and ice cream. And after we, we did that, we went and rode the rides there in the mall. You know, those little rides, but three quarters in and you ride them. And, and then after we did that, he wanted to go to JCPenney because upstairs in JCPenney are toys. And so we went and looked at toys. And we looked at, so we walked around. Hudson and I walked around the mall for about an hour and a half while, while Stacy uh, shopped. Sounds like a great day, right? Not. So we walked around the mall, and, 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 and so what Hudson said as we were walking around the mall, what he said several times is, This is the best day ever. Like, do you see where we're at? We are at the Northwood Mall. I mean, it's like Solomon Gomorrah up in here. This is where we're at, right? We're in the Northwood Mall. This is the best day ever. What are you thinking, right? But my son, it doesn't matter. Hudson, just his perspective. Every day for him is the best day ever. It doesn't matter what we're doing. He says all the time, man, today is the best day ever. Let me just tell you, Friday was not the best day ever. I mean, being in the Northwood Mall, waiting on your wife to shop, maybe it's the best day ever for you, but it's not for me. You see what I'm saying? But perspective really does change everything. And you've seen it in your kids too, those small children. Just that perspective on life, that as long as I'm spending time with the people I love, it's the best day ever, right? Perspective really does change things. And for some of us for so long, we've had the wrong perspective on life. You look at life through your eyes. If I don't get my way, I'm going to be bitter. If I don't get my way, I'm going to be mad. If, I'm going to, if I don't get my way, I'm going to be angry at God. I mean, for some of us, for far too long, that's been our perspective. But a Godward perspective changes everything. Because when you have a Godward perspective, now watch this. When you have a Godward perspective, you know that God wastes nothing. That whatever you're going through, whatever your struggles might be, whatever suffering you're enduring, you know that in the midst of that, God is using it all. He doesn't waste a thing, right? And, and since you know that God wastes nothing, you know that he's using that stuff you're going through to form your character. I mean, this is the life of Joseph, right? As he walks by faith and trusts God, God's not wasting his time in prison. God's not wasting his time in Potiphar's house. God is accomplishing his mission, and as God is accomplishing his mission through Joseph, all the while, Joseph is becoming the man of God that God wants him to be. And in your life, look at it from God's perspective. I know it seems like life is unfair sometimes, and I know it seems like you're suffering unjustly, but look at life from God's perspective. He doesn't waste anything that you're going through. And he, in the midst of your trials, if you'll follow him in faith, if you'll obey him, if you'll trust him, he will make you more like his son Jesus. He will grow you in the fruit of the Spirit. And he will accomplish his mission through you. For some of us, we've got to stop. Because you're going to become more content in your relationship with God when you learn to look at life from a Godward perspective. But let me show you something else. 
Not only does this text call us to ask the question, do you see life from the right perspective, but also, do you live with purpose? Now, come back to the text just real quick. You come to verse 5, for example, and, 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 and I know this is basic Christianity stuff. If you've been to church and you've heard a preacher like me talk before, you've heard preachers all your life talk about living with purpose. I get that. I know you know this. But look at what the text says again. Verse 5. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You see it? I mean, Joseph knows. He's walked with the Lord. He's maintained his faith and integrity. And, and, and when he's finally reunited with his brothers, he's able to look at them and say, it's okay. Yes, you treated me unjustly. Yes, you wronged me. But God had a purpose in it all. And my friend, God has a purpose. You know this. You know your purpose. You know the whole reason why God has left you on this earth. Isn't so that you might climb the corporate ladder or earn that degree you want to earn or marry that person you want to marry. You know that ultimately God has left you on this earth so you might know him and walk in intimacy with him and so you might be about his mission to invest in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. You know that. And now watch this. When you live with purpose, when you understand your purpose, one, it motivates faithful obedience. When you know why you exist, when you know why you are on this earth, it motivates you. To obey, to keep doing the right thing, to keep walking by integrity, to keep making wise choices, and knowing your purpose motivates forgiveness. I mean, when, when Joseph is finally reunited with his brothers, don't be angry. And you come over to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that verse you probably know well if you've read the story of Joseph, where Joseph looks at his brothers and says, what you intended for me for evil, God intended for good. Right? He knew his purpose and knew that God was at work in the midst of everything that was going on around him. And because he knew his purpose, he was able to look at his brothers and say, I'm not holding it against you. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be angry. God knew what he was doing. It doesn't necessarily make forgiveness easy. It doesn't necessarily wipe away all the hurts. But when you know your purpose, you know. It's a whole lot easier to let bygones be bygones. It's a whole lot easier to forgive and move on when you know why God has left you here. But let me ask you one more question before we end our time together. Do you glory in God's plan? You see, you're going to find contentment in life. You're going to find contentment in your relationship with Jesus. When you know your purpose, right? You're going to find contentment in your relationship with Jesus when you have the right perspective, that Godward perspective. And you're going to find contentment in your relationship with Jesus when you glory in God's plan. Now, now watch this. Come in here real close. You have to understand this. Joseph's story in the book of Genesis takes up how many chapters? About 12 chapters. Joseph is given more space in the book of Genesis than, uh, than, than, than Abraham, than Jacob, right? His father, whose name was changed to Israel. His story is given more space uh, to, to, uh, to Noah, to Isaac. So you'd walk away from the book of Genesis thinking, Joseph's a pretty big deal. But then you come to Exodus chapter 1. And in Exodus chapter 1, in verse 8, after Joseph dies, after, or after the Pharaoh dies, the next Pharaoh that comes along does not remember Joseph. One page, right? You go from Genesis 50 to Exodus 1, and in one page, Joseph is forgotten. And, and listen, not only does Pharaoh forget Joseph, now watch this. It seems as if the rest of the New Testament writers forget him too. 
Read your New Testament. You might know how many times you find Joseph mentioned in the New Testament? Just a couple of times. You know who you find mentioned far more in the New Testament than Joseph? Judah. And Judah was horrible. He sold his brother into slavery. Strike one. If you read Genesis chapter 38, that's a crazy story. Don't read it with small children, but in that story... He impregnates his daughter-in-law. I mean, it's a crazy story. Judah is just this epitome of a sinner. He models sin. Joseph models Christ. I mean, you think about it. He walks by faith. He's a man of integrity. He gives his life to the purpose of God so his brothers might be saved. He models Christ. But yet Judah, on the other hand, Model sin. Yet, in God's sovereignty, the Messiah would come not through the lineage of Joseph, but from the lineage of Judah. Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah. And that makes no sense. I mean, if I'm God and I'm picking who I want my son to come through lineage-wise, it's going to be Joseph. Because Joseph is the one who maintains faith and integrity. Joseph is a picture of of the kind of life that Christ will live some thousands of years later. Judah is a picture of us. A messed up sinner like all of us. But Judah, in a sense, does foreshadow Jesus. You go back to Genesis chapter 44. In those verses we read, when, 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 when Judah says what? He says, listen. Me instead of him. Me instead of Benjamin. Me instead of Benjamin. That's what Jesus would say thousands of years later. When he died on a cross to rescue us from our sins. Heavenly Father, me instead of them. He would die in our place, absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf. So that all of us who place our faith in Jesus, who give our lives to him, who turn from sin and trust that Christ died and rose again for us. We can be set free from the eternal prison of hell and be given the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Christ Jesus said, me instead of them, you see. And now here we are, Jesus Christ coming from the lineage of Judah, this evil man. In fact, if you think about it, the only reason why Joseph goes into slavery in Egypt and the only reason why God raises him up in Egypt to be the second in command to provide grain for hurting people, the only reason why, if you think about it really, is for Judah. God sends Joseph into Egypt to ultimately rescue Judah so that Christ can come from the lineage of Judah. It is a crazy story and a crazy thought how God works. But, but I think there's a huge point here that you have to understand. Watch this. Live to be forgotten. Because that's Joseph's story. God raised him up to serve in a particular generation for a particular time. In a particular day. And Joseph accomplished God's purpose. And when he was dead, he was done. And and, and listen, I I don't want to depress you too much this morning. And this is going to sound kind of depressing. But just hear me out. Your great-great-grandchildren aren't even going to know your name. 
Unless they're on Ancestry.com or something, right? They're just not going to know who you are. But yet we spend so much of our lives trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to gain wealth, trying to impress people by what we accumulate, or trying to impress people by what we've accomplished. We spend so much time trying to build ourselves up. But newsflash for you this morning, you are not the hero of the story. Nor was Joseph the hero of the story. The hero of every story is Jesus Christ himself. You will be forgotten, but let me remind you, my friend, your great-great-grandchildren will not know your name. But by the way that you live your life now, investing in your children, investing in your grandchildren, there's a good chance they will know the name of the one who matters, Jesus Christ. You will be forgotten, but Jesus will not be forgotten. For all of eternity, there will come a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, what I'm not saying here is that your life doesn't matter, that you're just a nobody. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we so oftentimes misconstrue the point of life. The point of life is not to declare your greatness. The point of life is to declare his greatness. And when you're done, you're done. You've done your job. You see what I'm saying? And so listen, my friend, I think the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is to stop caring so much about the legacy that we leave behind, the accomplishments that we want to have, what people think about us. Live to be forgotten. Live your life in such a way that people don't know you, but they know the one that you serve. You see what I'm saying? You are not the hero of the story, but he is. And I think Joseph's life is a perfect example of that. He's forgotten. But in his day, he did exactly what God placed before him. Pointing people ultimately to the real hero, Jesus Christ, as he prepared the way through his faithfulness to God. This morning, as we close our time together, you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. And you've fallen into the same trap we've all fallen into. You've been living your life from your own perspective. What can I gain? What can I accomplish so people will remember me? And you're constantly frustrated when things don't work out like you want them to work out. My friend, maybe for you as a follower of Jesus this morning, you need to come and repent. Turn from living life from your own perspective. Turn from glorying in your own plan and not his plan. And maybe this morning as a follower of Jesus, you need to ask God to help you to live a life that's ultimately forgotten. A life that points people away from you and points people to the one who is able to save. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. Today know that Jesus paid the price for you. He died in your place on the cross, taking the the punishment for your sin that you deserve and rose again three days later so you could have a relationship intimacy with the God of all creation. And if you'll turn control of your life over to him today, if you'll say, God, I'm tired of living my way and I want to live your way, if you'll make that decision this morning today, you can be saved. You can begin a relationship with the God of all creation through faith in Jesus Christ. In a moment, I'll be down front and I would love to talk to you about how you can begin that journey today. If you don't want to walk down front, I understand that. We'll have some volunteers in the lobby who are ready to talk to you about how you can take that next step of faith by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know how God is speaking to you in these moments, but I know that he is. You respond now as the Lord leads you to respond as we have a time of invitation together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for this morning and for time to spend together in your word. And when we think about the life of Joseph, he is an example of integrity, faithfulness, but ultimately an example of what it looks like to live life to be forgotten. And Father, really, at the end of the day, that's the kind of lives we want to, to live. Because there is one hero, and it's not us. There's one Savior, and it's not us. There's one who is perfect, and it's not us. There is one who we need to point people to, and it's Jesus himself. And so, Father, help us to live our lives in such a way that when our lives come to an end, people don't talk about what a great person that we were. Instead, they talk about what a great God we served. Help us to live to be forgotten. And for that person here who needs a change of perspective, a change of priority, for that person will come now, just repenting of sin and choosing the day to follow you. Father, for that person who might be here who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, who has never experienced salvation in Christ, I pray now that person will come, turning from sin and turning to you. But have your way now, I ask. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation together, and you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.